from the depths of all the mighty oceans. You may tell the distance to the farthest star, but the mighty love of God cannot be measured. Its dimensions are so high, so deep, so far. This love is mine, I cannot comprehend it. This love reveals through Christ my Lord divine. When on the tree he died for me, God's wondrous, glorious, mighty love, this love is mine. And someday I'll thank him face to face in glory, where with all the ransomed at his feet I'll fall. And through countless ages there I'll live rejoicing, sing forever at the wonder of it all. This love is mine, I cannot comprehend it. This love revealed through Christ my Lord divine. When on the tree he died for me, God's wondrous, glorious, mighty love, this love is mine. Acts chapter number 16, we'll go ahead and dismiss the kids, ages four years old through fourth grade. Four years old through fourth grade for Children's Church. Thankful for being willing to, to fill in while Brother Schrader is out. I was worried that Mrs. Schrader was going to be out as well. I'm like, I can't ask anybody to take Children's Church. They all get hurt if I, when I ask them. So, you know, so. but Mrs. Ridley said she was feeling well enough to, to take them today. So, Acts chapter number 16 is going to be our text today, and we're, in, in a way, we are doing another study from Acts chapter number 16, starting in verse number, actually, let's just read verse 14, because we read the overall context just a second ago, and verse 14 says, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. So our text today is going to give the testimony of the first European Christian that, that came as a result of Paul's Macedonian missionary campaign. So up until this point, Paul has been in, in uh, the, the Middle Eastern section and in parts of um, Central Asia, which is Turkey. But we saw a couple weeks ago that God redirected him to leave from Troas and go into the country of Macedonia, the first European country that the gospel is going into. Could you imagine, though, being the very first Christian in your nation? Some of us might be the last Christian in this nation, but, but I can't imagine what it would be like to be the first Christian in, in a country. Um, when I first went to 
do some short-term missions work in Nepal before I decided to move to India. Um, I started studying a little bit about the beginning of Christianity in the country of Nepal. Nepal has not been known as a Christian country. In fact, it's a Hindu country. Um, but back in the 1600s, the Catholics tried to make an inroad into the country, and they didn't get anywhere. Okay? There were basically zero converts to Catholicism for the most part. And the king of Nepal started to suspect them of treason and kicked them out. And so Nepal was closed completely to Christianity and the gospel until the 1900s, like 1950 is about the time that Nepal started to open up to the outside world. And officially, the first church in the country of Nepal was started, was the, was the church Ram Ghat Church by David Mukia, who is a Nepali Christian who lived in India, but went back into Nepal and started this church. But that first Christian in any country, they really set a precedent for what Christianity is going to be like from, for ages on. I mean, imagine if uh, this first church in, in Nepal had decided that all the women are going to shave their heads bald. This is what we believe in practice. Caleb's over there going, oh, okay, <laughs> so, you know. But everybody in those churches from that point on would have followed suit, right? Because the very beginning, the first person there sets a precedent for how things are going to continue traditionally, okay? And in our text, we see the first Christian in the church of Philippi here the, in, in Macedonia. And we, I want to look at the precedent that she sets because it does have an influence on the church in this town moving on into the future. But let's just look at a couple points here, starting in verse number 12 through 13. The first thing we're going to see is that Lydia worshipped God even when there was no official church service. In verse 12 through 13. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia in a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a river where, Paul was want, where prayer was meant to be made. Want to be made, sorry. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So Paul and his missionary band, they come to Philippi, which according to this text is a major city in that section of Macedonia. And in, as in the rest of this chapter, we're going to see three different people highlighted who get saved in the city of, Ma of Philippi. You guys know one key character who got saved in the city of Philippi, other than Lydia. Who was that person? The Philippian jailer, right? Okay, I heard a little bit of whispers out there. You know, so this, the rest of the text relates these important people who form the foundation for the church of Philippi. But as Paul and his missionary group, they stay in Philippi, they decide to go down to the river on the Sabbath day. Okay? Now, if you remember Paul's habit of preaching, when he first came into the city, who was the first group of people that he preached to? The Jews, right? Okay? But Jude, Paul goes down to the river on the Sabbath day, and he goes there to preach. This is a Gentile city, and it seems that Philippi doesn't have a significant amount of Jews in the city, and I'll explain why, okay? But he goes on the Sabbath day to where he knows the Jews might possibly be, because a lot of these, they had limits. It, um, unrecognized religions could only be within a certain radius of the city center, and that pushed the Jews oftentimes to the outer limits, and they oftentimes set up their services near 
bodies of water because they would perform ritual washings and different things like that. And so here on the Sabbath day, Paul comes down to the river, not to a building, not to a cathedral, not to a synagogue, but to the river. And there they find a group of women who are gathered together to pray. The reason I don't believe that there was an official synagogue in the city is, is this. Okay, First of all, no men are mentioned in this, gr- in this group. And in order to have a synagogue, you had to have a minimum of 10 men. You couldn't have a synagogue without 10 men present. Okay, That was the minimum number. And we don't see that here. And so Paul preaches to these Jewish ladies on the, the side of the river, by the riverside. <clears throat> and it says here in this text that on the Sabbath day, they were wont to make to, to go to prayer here by the river. That idea of want is, it was their habit. They were habitually going down to the river, even though there was no official synagogue service. There was no official church service. These ladies were going, and they made a habit of meeting together by the river to pray together, to spend time with God together. These ladies were not going to let the inconvenience of not having a church building keep them from worshiping God. How many of you, if we didn't have uh, padded pews, would still come to church here? Anybody? Okay, some of you. What if we did what the Greek Orthodox do over in Greece, where you stand up the, the entire service? Would you still come to church here? Okay, so, would, honestly. Okay, so, you know, I, I think a lot of times we allow convenience to be a determining factor in what we do and we practice. Most, most people go to churches that are within three miles of their house. That's the, that's the number one determining factor. I, I made three miles up, it, but it's somewhere around that range, you know. They like to be within a certain distance of their house. I remember when we first moved to Oklahoma, we were living out by Tinker, which, where's Michael, okay? Michael knows this drive, right? We were driving all the way from Tinker to church. We started going to Windsor Hills first when we first came here. But that's a long drive even from, to go to Windsor Hills. And then to come here from Tinker, that was, that was kind of a rough drive. I remember one day we were supposed to go on visitation because you're required to go twice a week, Thursday and Saturday mornings. You had to be there for visitation. But there was one day there was this big, huge ice storm. It took us two hours to get to visitation. And then we get there and find out they canceled it, but nobody called us. Okay. So, but inconvenience oftentimes becomes a determining factor in what we will do, what churches we will go to, how we will worship God, how involved we will be with our worship of God. But we don't see that in Lydia. Lydia was willing to go and to consistently meet by the river to pray. And they were outside the city because people didn't, didn't favor the Jews. They looked down upon the Jews in this city. And they, they have no comfortable padded pews. They have no nice building. They have no air conditioning and no heating. Nobody had air conditioning and heating back then, but they had none of that stuff. And yet they were still willing to get together to worship. I think even in free America, Christians do not prioritize church or their relationship and service to God like Lydia did. I think of the church in China, okay? Church in China is an underground church. It is illegal for them to exist. And so what do they have to do when they get together to worship? They have to be very secretive. People show up at odd hours at different times. They come at, they, they park far away and they walk in and they never show up at the same time. They stagger their, their approach. Times in the underground church, they 
Pastor Carsey's would die, but they, when they sing, they mouth the words. They don't actually sing, right? Okay, so there's nothing coming out because they don't want anybody to hear them, right? But it's hard for them to worship. They are facing the possibility of getting arrested if they are caught, and yet they still gather together to worship. And so often, we as Christians in America, we think, oh, if I were persecuted, I'd be just like the underground church in China. No, you wouldn't. You honestly wouldn't, because we let all kinds of other inconveniences keep us from worshiping and serving God, don't we? We allow every, every, little, every little inconvenience keep us from doing what we know we ought to be doing, whether it's a ball game. My kids need to go play sports on Sunday, so we skip church. Or um, it's just too hot outside, so I can't go on visitation this week. It's... Trust me, it was hot this week. Okay, so, but, uh, so we say, oh, I can't, I can't go. I can't do that. I can't be involved in that. I've got so much going on in my life. It's just too inconvenient for me to be involved in serving and worshiping God. And so we allow inconvenience even now to keep us from doing what we know we should be doing. So how can we get away with saying, when it gets harder, I'll, I'll be faithful then, but I'm not faithful now. He that is faithful in... The least, that's what we need to be. We need to be faithful in the little things, but we're not. I think of in India right now, Manipur, right, Rekha? In Manipur, churches are being burned down. Christians are being killed. I think um, the latest statistics I heard was like 200 churches, I think, had been burned down in Manipur. Do you guys know an up-to-date number, Samuel? 200? Yeah, okay, that was the number that I had heard. But these Christians, they're still worshiping God. They're still standing faithful in spite of persecution. And if we're ever going to face that kind of persecution, stand strong. We need to start taking God seriously enough not to be inconvenienced by our worship, not to be inconvenienced by our service. And here's one that I think all of us struggle with, not to be inconvenienced by relationship. We say we'll serve God when there's persecution, but we don't even do our devotions because it's too inconvenient, I'm too tired to get up in the morning and do it. Or, or I'm busy, I've got all these other things going on. We're lying if we say we're gonna stand faithful when it gets harder, if we aren't even doing it when it's easy. But Lydia was willing to worship God when there were no conveniences, when it wasn't organized. Nobody had to say, hey, we're gonna have a church service this Sabbath day, come and be with us. No, Lydia was there already. She chose to be there. She didn't need to, somebody else to lead her and make her worship God. She chose to do it when it wasn't convenient. So we see in this text, first of all, that Lydia worshiped God when it wasn't convenient. She met by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made. There is no synagogue here at all. The second point we're going to see is in verse 14, that Lydia's heart was opened to hearing the message by God. Verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Verse 14 gives us some details about, at this point I'm just going to focus on a couple of them because I want to develop more of these points in the next section. But Lydia was, first of all, she was a worshiper of God. That's what the text calls it. Now, people are, there's a lot of debate about whether she was a Jew or whether she was a Gentile. Okay, she's worshiping on the Sabbath day, but she's from a Gentile city. 
And so there's a, there are a lot of people who believe she was a Gentile who converted to Judaism and was worshiping God on the Sabbath day there. But so she was a worshiper of God, though. She, she was somebody who was interested in spiritual things, and she was seeking the truth, even as an unsaved person, because has she become a Christian yet? No, she has not. But she was still seeking the truth. She was interested in these, these things. And God had begun doing a work in her heart enough that she worshipped him. The phrase here where it says that uh, the seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. That, that word heard implies that she was continually hearing them over a period of time. It was a continuous action in her life. She didn't get saved the first time that she heard the gospel. She heard it over a period of time, and, and she got saved. And she continued to listen over that period of time, and as she heard the word of God, the, the verse says here that God opened her heart, whose heart the Lord opened. Salvation is a work that is all of God. That is, that is what this verse is, is keying in on here. It is a work that is all of God. God did a work in her life to open her heart to the gospel. John 6, verse 44 says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So often when we go out and we witness to people, I think one of the things that we need to be praying is that God would open their hearts to the gospel, that he would make them receptive to the gospel. Not everybody that we talk to is ready to hear it. We can knock on their door and talk to them, but, the, but they aren't necessarily ready to hear or even ready to receive the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 7, I have planted and Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? God gave the increase. So that neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. Why? Because we didn't really accomplish anything, right? We're nothing. The planter and the waterer, we're just obeying God. But... God that giveth the increase. Sometimes it's going to take time to see fruit when we spread the gospel. And the, and the fact that, that fruit is delayed shouldn't discourage us in going and planting and going and watering. How many of you guys have gardens? I know Daniel does. Okay, Daniel, from the time you plant your uh, carrots, how long does it take them to grow? I was trying to think what you have in your garden, so... Three months, okay? Did he, did he reap those, those carrots immediately after he planted the seed? No, he did not. There was a season that, that had to occur before they were ready to be harvested. And I know we've just finished out our summer season of visitation, and it may not seem like we're seeing tons of people flocking into the church because we went knocking on doors, right? But is that a reason to get discouraged, to give up, to lose heart, because we, we're not a church of a thousand after one summer of visitation. Okay, so God's work is a process of planting and watering. That's what we are involved in, planting the seed, watering the seed. But the seeds need to germinate, and when it is ready, God will cause it to grow. I think as, as a word of encouragement this last week, if you're tempted to feel discouraged because we haven't had a ton of people come because of visitation, last Sunday... We had a visitor, right? Any of you guys get to talk to him? Jim did, yep. You know why? He's Jim's neighbor. Okay, but we were out putting out door hangers in Jim's neighborhood, and the guy got one, and he came. 
and he visited the church. You know, that's, that should be encouraging that God is doing something. It is, it is not like nothing is happening. And so I'm praying that God can continue to use these things as we follow up with some of these visits. Um, there were a lot of contacts that were made. A lot of people who need, need, needed to hear the gospel and were not saved that we can go back to and we can talk to and we can follow up with those people. But even if nobody had gotten saved because of our efforts, we are still obedient to Christ's commands. I think of Galatians 6 verse 9 which says, And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall what? Reap if we faint not. So Lydia, her heart was opened by God. This work of salvation is entirely dependent on God. My eloquence, my beautiful personality, no, okay, so whether I'm a six foot four athlete, none of that is going to bring a person to the Lord. Nothing about you has any influence on that. It is all of God and God's drawing on their life. In verse 14 through 15, we see that Lydia gave of her generosity to support the ministry of Paul. So as Lydia gets saved, she gives of her generosity. Again, it says here, Lydia was a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So verse 14 gives us some other details about Lydia. First of all, Lydia was a seller of purple. I decided not to do slides today, but this was the only slide that I, that I thought would have been really important. But when it talks about her being a seller of purple, sellers of purple were people who sold cloth that was dyed in a very special dye made from the Murex shellfish. Okay? It was a, it's kind of a reddish purple color. That's why I wanted to show the slide. But the color was a wealth. And it was a very lucrative industry for somebody to be involved in. In fact, around this time period, the Roman government took over the, the selling of purple. They made it their industry, so they socialized their industry. No, okay, anyways. So they, they took over the industry in Rome, and what that means is people who are involved in it were delegates from the Roman government in some way. They were people who were officially placed in this position. And so if that had happened around the time of Lydia, I'm not 100% sure that she overlaps with that period, but it's around that same time period, then Lydia would have not just been a wealthy woman, she would have been a woman of status and position, official status and position. So Lydia was most likely a wealthy woman of social influence and standing. It says here she was also from Thyatira. This is one of the reasons many believe that she was a Gentile. But Thyatira was known for its textiles, for its cloth producing, okay? And it's interesting that the first mention we have of Thyatira, we have a Christian who is a godly Christian. But what is the last reference to Thyatira that we have in the Bible? Revelation. And who is the most famous person in Thyatira in Revelation? Jezebel. So we go from a godly woman to an abomination by the end of the book of Revelation within the city of Thyatira. But that's where she was from. It says here in verse number 15 that when she heard the gospel and had received it, the Lord opened her heart to it. After that, she was baptized and her household. 
So after she was saved, Lydia got baptized, but she had such an influence that everyone who lived with her and worked for her in her household also got saved and baptized. That word household is uh, everybody involved in the house, okay? She's wealthy. Is she going to have servants? Yeah, she is in that culture. Is she going to have people who, who uh, wash her feet when she walks in the door? Yes. Is she going to have merchants who work for her? Yes. Um, and potentially, she had family as well. And she, she is so influential that all of them get saved, and all of those people get baptized. God has specifically positioned this woman in just the right spot to be a great influence in spreading the gospel to the rest of Philippi. Because she has the wealth, she has the influence, she has the status, and she is able to influence her own family and all those people who work for her. And then it says here in verse number 15 that she says, in, uh, the second half says, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So she volunteered her house to be the center of Paul's ministry in Philippi. This is where everything that Paul does is going to be based out of. They're going to stay there. They're going to work out of this place. And she says, first of all, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, this is a conditional clause, but it is spoken with the assumption, if you examine my life, you will see it is true. I am faithful to the Lord. And so she volunteers. She says, come into my house and abide there. She gives them a place to stay, a place to work out of, a place to live while they are in Philippi. And we don't see them leaving her house until verse 40. Verse 40 says, And they went out of the prison, so after they'd been arrested, and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them, and then they departed. Okay, So after they get released from the Philippian prison, they go back to Lydia's house, they greet all the brethren, and then they move on to their next location. So she volunteered her house to be the center of ministry there in Philippi. But also she was a very persistent person, okay? Now, if you know anybody who is a salesman, a businessman, Daniel, so you know that they are very persistent in what they do. If you're going to make the sale, are you going to take no for an answer? No, you're not, right? She is a seller, and she is a very persistent person. But in verse 15, it says, and she constrained us. She constrained us. She was not taking no for an answer. This was her opportunity to serve God. And it brought her joy to do this, to give of her house, to give of her wealth, to help in the ministry. We have often used, used the phrase, have you heard this phrase, don't steal their joy? Like if somebody's trying to give you money and you say, no, no, I can't take that. And then somebody says, you don't steal my joy now, right? Have you heard that phrase? Okay. There's a reason that's in there, right? That phrase, that phrase is not just a, a cliche. <coughs> For some people in the body of Christ... This is the joy that drives their service, giving to people, meeting people's needs like this, giving of their wealth is their spiritual gift that drives them. It brings them joy and delight. And I think Lydia here was eager to give. She wasn't taking no for an answer. She wanted to give. And the main lesson I want us to see from this text is the example of giving that Lydia shows for us. Most of Christianity back in that day, were they rich or were they poor? That most of Christianity was poor. And then when persecution sets in, their stuff's being taken away from them. Their houses are being destroyed. Their property is being taken. 
They aren't living in wealth and pleasure. Most of the Christianity were the poor and the outcasts. But in a town like Philippi, Philippi was known for having middle class to upper class people. So it was like us, for the most part. It was the middle class people and the upper class people in Philippi. And here God raises up a woman of means to take care of the needs of Paul and of his companions. A lot more could be said about giving, like teaching on the widow and her might. But I think Paul challenges the Corinthians about giving. And, and, And Paul's challenge to the Corinthians about giving. But for those who God has already spoken to and gifted in this area, they could easily understand Lydia. If this is what, this is the gift that God has given you, you understand Lydia. You know what drives her. You see that. And so God has given her all these things, knowing that someday they would be used for his glory. The things that God gives us, the nice houses, the money, the nice car, time, freedom in America. God gives us all of those things, those wealth things, because he's preparing us to use them for him in some way, to bring him glory. Philippi became one of the best and strongest churches that Paul had ever visited. In in the book of Philippians, he hardly has anything negative to say about this church. The only, only negative thing he ever said about Philippi was, some of you are bickering and you shouldn't be bickering, okay? Compare that to Corinth. How bad was Corinth? It was pretty bad, right? But Philippi is a pretty solid church. In Philippians 4, verse 15 through 18, Paul says, Now ye Philippians... Know also that in the beginning of the gospel, my ministry here in Macedonia, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. And I'll finish that verse in a second here. But Paul is saying, when we went out to do our missionary work, launching from Macedonia into all these new areas, who supported us? Nobody else did. Only the church of Philippi. Why would the church of Philippi have supported Paul? Because they were following the example of a godly woman who started it all. Lydia, who had a giver's heart. She set the example of giving of her wealth to help the ministry, to help Paul, to get the gospel out there. And the church followed that example. It says, nobody communicated with us. And this idea of communicated is sharing financially with us or sharing with us. But nobody shared with us as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only, for even in Thessalonica ye send once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Paul follows up and says, You guys didn't send to me just because I want money. That wasn't the heart of the Apostle Paul. He was willing to work. He went to Corinth and he worked as a tent maker to support his own ministry, to get the gospel out there. He didn't let the fact that nobody else was giving him money keep him from doing what was right, right? That wasn't the heart of Paul. Paul's heart was not that they would give to meet his needs and satisfy what he wanted. Paul's heart was that they would give and thereby receive fruit, to their accounts, that in giving, they would be partaking and enabling the ministry of Paul and all of that fruit that he saw 
would be on their account because they helped provide for the ministry. Paul says, I have all. I abound. I've got everything that I need. Having received of Epaphroditus from you the things that you sent. I have everything that I need because you guys sent Epaphroditus to take care of my needs. And it is a blessing. He says it is an odor of a sweet smell. You guys think of a good cologne or a good perfume. When Pastor Carsey's walks down the hallway and you can smell him. It smells so good though. So, you know. But it's, it, a good smell is better than somebody who hasn't bathed in a week, right? Okay. I would, you know. And, and so their, their giving is like a... I saw you patting your husband's shoulder over there. Okay, so, you know, but a sweet smell brings delight to us. It, it, it makes us feel good. It makes us happy if you smell good smells. And, um, and so it was a sweet smell to Paul. It was, it was a blessing to him. But he also says it was a sacrifice. Did they have to give? Did all of the church members have all the wealth that Lydia had? No, they didn't. They, but they sacrificed to meet need. And the sacrifice wasn't just a sacrifice for Paul. Who ultimately were they giving to? They're giving to God. It says a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Their sacrifice was like, like an offering to God. That's why we call this the offering, okay? We are offering a sacrifice of our money to give to God. And, God, and according to Paul, God finds that acceptable and it is well-pleasing. It brings joy and delight to the heart of God. <clears throat> so Paul praises them because they communicated or they shared financially with them. And none of the other churches had been willing to do that to support Paul. In the, and, uh, and Paul praises Philippi because of their giving spirit. But Lydia laid that foundation. Lydia set the example that others would follow. You've heard, me, you, you've heard me say that, this phrase, multiple times in my messages. But if you see something that needs change, you need to be the change you want to see in others. Lydia led by example. This is a lesson all ministry leaders, all preachers need to have in their life. You lead from up front. You do not lead from behind. You do not lead by driving your sheep ahead with a whip but you lead from up front calling them to follow you. You lead by example. And Lydia set the example in the church of Philippi that they needed to follow, and they did. She could have come up with all kinds of excuses for why she shouldn't have to do this, why she didn't need to give her money to help Paul out. Lydia was a woman after all, right? And in that society where women, the ones who were looked at as uh, the most revered and respected and influential people in the community... No, most people looked at women as below human. This is one of the reasons why Christi Christianity has, has influenced our society and in that it has grown the value of women in society. The secular world by, at that time looked at women as no, no better than a cow, no better than a, an item to be owned. But Lydia was a woman, so maybe she could have just said, oh, it's not my job, it's not my place, I'm a nobody, and I'll let, the, I'll let the men take care of this, okay? She could have said that, but did she? No, she didn't say that. Lydia could, could have been worried about her business and making sure her lifestyle was maintained. I've got a big, huge business that's making me tons of money that I've got I've to worry about. I can't take care of Paul. I can't have him into my home. He's going to be tripping all over my feet everywhere that I go. 
She could have been worried about her business or maintaining her lifestyle. This is going to cost me something. I may not be able to buy that Grecian vase that I want to have that I've been looking at at the antique store. It wasn't an antique back then. Okay. So this Grecian vase that she wants to mount in a prominent position in her house. She wasn't concerned about that. That wasn't what kept, that, that didn't keep her from doing what was right. Lydia could have just let somebody else step up feeling that maybe she's not a leader. Givers, people who have the spiritual gift of giving, they're not leaders generally, okay? They are usually followers. They want somebody else to take the limelight. They want to disappear in the background. You know somebody who gives a lot to people? Do they ever want you to get up and trumpet their praises publicly before everybody else? No, they don't, okay? And the, her, her temperament probably was not to stand out front of everybody and say, hey, look at me, you know? That's not what she wanted to do. God has gifted us all in different ways. You may not be a speaker or an upfront person, but you can still make a difference by setting an example that others will follow. Lydia could have also been focused on the inconvenience of having, having other people in her home, coming and going constantly. Do you think she controlled Paul's schedule? Like, Paul, you've got to be in at 8 o'clock every night because that's when I'm going to be cooking dinner, and that's your bedtime, Paul. Did she have that authority? No, she didn't. So Paul's coming and going whenever he feels like it, right? And that's inconvenient to have a guest stay at your house and they're just popping in and going whenever they want to. But did she allow any of these things to excuse her from giving of her wealth to meet God's needs? No, she didn't do any of that. She was willing to be used by God. One of the men I respect um, for his ministry is Francis Schaeffer. I don't know if you've heard that name. Now, I respect him more for his early ministry than his later ministry. But he was a missionary in Switzerland who started a ministry called Labrie. Okay? And basically, he found that opening up his house 24-7 to hospitality, God was able to use him in, a greater, in greater ways. He had people living with him, people who would come for every meal sitting down with him. And people who would stay for long periods of time at his house, thousands of students and seekers of truth, were influenced by the ministry that he had in his house. They were interested in, this, in the truth of Christianity and what it means to walk with God because of the way that he approached ministry. He, he was like a Lydia. He made his house available to these people. And because of that, they saw the truth of his walk. So many of us, we're afraid to have people into our home because if they do, they'll see, I'm not, a, I'm not as good of a Christian as everybody else thinks that I am, right? If I actually have them into my home. But if you have somebody living with you, they know exactly who you are. Your wife knows exactly who you are. Your husband knows exactly who you are. Your kids know exactly who you are. But you allow a stranger in there, they're going to see all the warts and all the flaws, but hopefully they're going to see the truth of Christianity as well. Francis Schaeffer was willing to open up his house much like a Lydia, and God used him greatly because of that. Let's go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes this morning. I think many of us struggle with holding on too tight to our things and to our money. And only you know if that's you, because we can't gauge your heart necessarily by a dollar, and dollar amount or by dollar signs. I have continued to have the same policy that Pastor Carsey's had, in pastoring the church here, I do not know what anybody gives. Okay? That's my policy. That was Pastor Carsey's policy, and there's a reason for that. I don't want it to sway my judgment one way or the other. 